All right, it is good to be with all of you again. My name is Eric Wakeling, pastor here at Calvary Church. And we are continuing in this whole series of the book of Jonah. Now, we're just going to get right into it here. Jonah, if we remember, he's been given a mission by God. God has told Jonah to go and proclaim this judgment upon Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, I don't want any of that. I am just going to run from you, God, and I'm going to get out of here as far away. He gets on a ship to go as far away from God as he thinks, and and Nineveh, as he thinks he possibly can get. And as he's on that ship, God sends this huge storm. And this storm comes, and the, the sailors are afraid, and Jonah realizes that this storm is because of me, so throw me into the sea. They do, and the storm completely goes calm. These sailors believe, and Jonah is sinking, sinking down into the deep. And as he is, this great fish, it says, swallows him up and swallows him into his belly. And you've got Jonah in the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights. And he cries out to God finally. He cries out to God and then God has this fish spit and vomit Jonah onto the beach. And so Jonah splats onto that sand, wipes off, you know, wipes himself off and starts walking to Nineveh. And he goes into the center of the town and proclaims, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And it says all of the people believed. And they repent. And it says God relents of the calamity that he was going to send upon Nineveh. Now we get to where we are today. Jonah 4.1. All right. If you're Turn there. If you're not already, find it. The back of the, the little Bible is in the back of the seat there. It's on page 658 in those ones. Here is how Jonah responds to God saving all of these hundreds of thousands of people from destruction. It greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Right? I mean, I know you all know this. We've been alluding to this, but this is the verse we've been alluding to the entire time. That all these people are saved and rescued, and God relents of this calamity that he would bring upon them. And Jonah is displeased and angry. Verse 2. He prayed to the Lord. This is his prayer, it says. Okay? Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. So he's just like, isn't this what I said you'd do, God? You know, like that is Jonah's response. I knew you'd save him, and you did. And he says, "Uh, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. (laughs) Look at this. Look at this. This is like next level of complaint. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Because you saved them. Yeah? Death is better to me than life because you saved them. And the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? And that's where we'll stop there. Now, uh, this is, so God's response, do you have good reason to be angry? I have saved these people. I know they're your enemy. I've saved them. And now you're mad to the point of death. 
And do you have good reason to be angry? This is a, one of those verses where I actually think we, we use the New American Standard Bible here at Calvary. It's the translation uh, of the text that we use. It's, this part is written in Hebrew, and it's being translated into English. And so there's, that's a lot of work, and there's a lot of like, difficulty in that process. Now, so that's why you have some different translations. And there's some, there's other ones. One's called the English Standard Version that I think gets it a little bit more right, where it says... Do you do well to be angry, is what God says to Jonah. I was looking at the language, and it's really more actually what it really says. Do you do well here, Jonah, to be angry? Is this a good thing for you to be doing? Now, the NIV is maybe a Bible some of you guys use, the New International Version. That says what the title is here. Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, is it right for you to be angry in this situation? Is what you're doing here right? Now, as we think about that for what we're talking about today, I want us to kind of think about, okay, now, anger in itself is not wrong. And I don't even think, like, every once in a while for us to be angry or upset with God or to have this kind of emotion with God is, is not always wrong. It's kind of, I think, how we sit in that, what we do with that. Even Jesus, like, it's like, in your anger, do not sin. You know, Jesus would, was angry, but we're being, we're being commanded at when we are angry, don't sin. So there can be anger, but when that gets kind of to a certain point, that can lead to sin. Now, I think this whole thing of him being angry with God is definitely for the wrong reasons. Do you have good reason to be angry because I save people? Probably not. But I think what we're going to look into here is how there's a lot going on with Jonah that's also kind of going on with us in the way we respond to God in the world. And so I want us to kind of process this, but definitely don't just listen to this message and think, that Jonah, what a moron. You know, like that's not the point, okay? The point of this isn't just to think like, gosh, that Jonah, he, he got it all wrong, or those disciples, or those Pharisees, <laughs> Gosh, so foolish, right? No, that's not the point. It's for us to kind of like let the scriptures speak, let us see the story that's happening, and then how does then that scripture speak into us in our life? Now, here's what, like a few things that I think that Jonah is thinking towards God that I think sometimes we think, and maybe it's hard for us to admit it. And the first is this. Sometimes we think God is just wrong. Sometimes we think God's wrong. We think we know how stuff is supposed to be, how the world's supposed to work, like how the, even the scriptures are supposed to be interpreted, whatever. We think God is wrong. In this case, Jonah thinks God is wrong. Him saving these people is wrong. It says it greatly displeased him and he became angry. Now, what I think the kind of problem that Jonah is having with God here is a theological problem with God. Jonah has like an issue with God's theology, which is kind of funny when you just sort of play back that sentence in your mind. Jonah has an issue with how God is kind of working out the things that he's previously said, right? Because it's, it's some of this like this question up here, like why does God allow 
evil or bad people to succeed? Why does God allow evil people in the world to, be, to succeed? That, you know, these are bad people, these Ninevites. This is the Assyrian Empire. They are the great enemy of the people of Israel. Dave talked last week about things like them killing people and skinning them and hanging those skins on the city walls. I mean, okay, that's as far as I'm going to go into how intense they were, but that's pretty, like, that's pretty violent and brutal and evil, right? So these people of Nineveh are bad news and they're enemies. Now, like, Jonah's thinking, like, they're just converting out of fear. This isn't fair. This is that kind of 11th hour thing. Why does God allow this? Why does he allow rapists and murderers to be forgiven, you know? Why does he even allow these sort of last-minute conversions? That's not fair. I lived my whole life for you, God. And these people have done wrong their whole life. And on their deathbeds, they ask for your forgiveness and your grace. And you give it. There's this, this other sort of question of, that Jonah has, I think, of how can God keep his promises that he has made? He's made these covenants to Israel to uphold Israel, protect Israel. How can he have this covenant for them, but then, you know, show mercy to the greatest enemies of Israel? So how, how does that go together? And why is this allowed to happen, you know? And how can God claim to be a God of justice and allow evil to go unpunished? Right? How can God be a God of justice and allow evil to go unpunished? Now, I think what Jonah has here is that he's got this thing where he thinks that the love of God is on this side and the justice of God is on this side. Okay? The love of God is all of, like, you think of the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy, the compassion of God over here. And then you've got this justice, which is the wrath of God, God making all things right, and God punishing those who are sinners, right? That kind of a thing. You've got this love of God and this justice of God. And for Jonah, these things clash. These things contradict one another. They cannot live in the same space together for Jonah. And he's like, how can you have this, this love, God, and how can you have this justice? It doesn't make sense. And that is completely understandable for Jonah, and here's why. Because Jonah hasn't seen the cross, okay? Jonah doesn't have an understanding of Jesus, the very Son of God, who has been sent to live that perfect life on this earth that none of us could live. And he does that, and he is God himself perfect, deserving of no bad thing to ever happen to him. And Jesus then willingly goes upon that cross Because of the love of God, he goes on that cross. And then the justice of God is being done upon that cross at the same time. Not in contradiction, because Jesus takes it all upon himself. Love and justice, all taken care of by the cross. And so maybe for you that's hard to understand those two things too, but hopefully you can see it with the cross. And what I want to ask you here is, can God be wrong? Do you think God can be wrong? I'm sure that you right away would just think, no, of course not, right? No, of course not. And so what I want to ask then is, how do you respond to God when life doesn't go your way? Now, life not going your way is a pretty flippant way of Speaking of potentially tragic, 
horrible things that have happened to us in our life. So I, I, I don't want you to think that we're, I'm being flippant with that. But it is when life doesn't go the way that you have wanted it to, how do you respond? Is God wrong in those moments or, or not? And how do we then submit ourselves to him? It feels like a really hard thing to honestly assess in ourselves, right? How can we honestly assess? And so I just kind of ask you as much as you can to try and honestly assess, Lord, do I sometimes think that the way that, that you act or the things that the word of God says or the things that it, it says are right and wrong and I don't really want to believe that or I've been sort of conditioned in the sense of our modern culture to think certain things about the world and God your word seems to be so different than that like how do I square all of this together Lord you know and so do you think God is wrong or do you think that maybe we need to change to be molded to be more like him now so this first thing is that sometimes, you know, sometimes that we think God's wrong. The second thing I think that's going on with Jonah is that sometimes our anger just gets the best of us, okay? Jonah is really letting his anger get the best of him here. Anger is, I think, a bit of an issue for Jonah. And Jonah says this, like, this whole thing in, in 2 and 3, just 3 is on the screen now, but I'm going to read 2 and 3. He says, he prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore... In order to forestall this, I fled to to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. And he says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Jonah is like, Jonah has a big time heart issue with God. Not just the head issue. He's got the head issue of like, hey, God, I think maybe you're wrong about this because, you know, according to these covenants that you've made and all that. But he's got this heart issue. He's just, he's upset. He's upset and he prefers his death to God's mercy for Nineveh. Like, I mean, we really have to square that. Like, really have to think about like, how crazy that is. I'm just continually in awe of the way that Jonah is able to do this. Um, I don't know if you've heard people talk about people who are seeing red. I remember even in like some training for police chaplain stuff, they said, hey, sometimes people are just, they are seeing red because they are so angry and they no longer can be like, they will no longer be rational. If someone is so angry, just like rational, logical choices are just are gone. Those are out the window. I think Jonah is seeing red towards God right now. And he is just letting it all out, no matter what he like should be doing to the God of the universe. And what I think is kind of crazy is that he thinks he's roasting God here by quoting Exodus 34, 6 to 7 to him, which is like some of these most beautiful words to God. It's like, you are, you know, you are abundant in loving kindness. Like that's his burn to God. You are compassionate and loving. You know, like, I just think that's kind of like a funny thing, first of all. But if you can, you can just listen. But if you can, turn to Exodus 34. It's close to the beginning of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Um, this whole thing is the part of the Bible where Moses is on Mount Sinai. The people have like already sinned with the whole thing of like the, the golden calf, right? The people of Israel worshiping the golden calf. Moses is going up and he's trying to 
you know, he's trying to really like plead that God will not kill everybody, basically. And you've got, in the midst of that whole story, it says in verse 6, then the Lord passed by in front of him, in front of Moses. This incredible moment of the presence of God passing in front of Moses. And Moses says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And, and it goes on visiting the iniquity of fathers, the children, and grandchildren. And it's like this intense passage, but of, this is where Moses is pleading on behalf of the people of Israel for God to not, not wipe all of them out. And he's talking to God about God's character, and then God doesn't. God relents of wiping out all of the people of Israel. And then now that's what Jonah's using to say like, oh, God, you're always forgiving everybody, you know? And so he's referring back and using this as his way of being upset at God. And now when we think about this as this theological problem, like a theological problem he had with God or this kind of intellectual problem he had with God that becomes this heart problem— it's really true that I think that, that all theological problems are also or issues that we have with people are also issues of the heart, right? They're also issues of our emotion because these things that we believe about God and eternity and the way that this is all supposed to work and how we interpret this great book, this word of God, these are some of the most, like, some of the most divisive uh, disagreements that people have because it's both head and heart. And we see that within Christianity where we have these like hundreds and hundreds of different denominations because somebody had an argument. So then a bunch of people leave and they start a new church, right? And then these people have an argument and then those people leave and start a new church. And now we have all these denominations all over the place because people had an argument and (laughs) they went, instead of kind of like being able to deal with that together, they just left and went and started a new thing. And it's kind of a thing that I think is actually one of the more tragic things in Christianity historically because I think about the kind of impact we could have as a united church together as one, the kind of impact we could have in this world if we didn't allow all of these things to make us leave and start a new thing. Now, obviously, if it's something that Jesus isn't God or like issues of what salvation is, like I understand some like really core vital disagreements, but we can, hear this, we can disagree with each other and still go to the same church. How novel. Okay, but this isn't, this is novel actually, okay? It's not something that we understand. It's okay for us to have a different opinion on something in the Bible. That's okay. There are lots and lots of different opinions about everything in the Bible, okay? And so I want us to understand that it's okay for us to be brothers and sisters in fellowship with one another and to have a different opinion on something. And what's not okay is to have a different opinion than God about people being saved, all right? That's what's not okay. Like, if we disagree that people should be saved, that's, uh, that's a problem. And so kind of like Jonah for us, we reveal 
our heart to God when we hold our personal views above God's views in the Bible. And obviously this thing of people being saved and God bringing his grace and compassion upon people is the most important. But Jonah gets to this point where he says, like, it's, it's this. It's that God should be Jonah's only source of meaning and purpose, right? God himself should be Jonah's source of meaning and purpose. And he says, God, if you do this, I have no meaning and there's no point for me to even live if you save these people. That's his level of disagreement. What I want you to think about here is, what do you think Jonah should have done at any point in this story, right? You know, when you read any story, you read any, any kind of, even like a, a fictional story, and you're reading it, and the, the protagonist, the main character is making some bad choice, and you're like, no, 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 why are you doing that? Like, don't go in that door. That's where the bad guy is, or whatever. Like, you just want to, you want them to, to change. And I feel that in the Jonah story, where you're like, no, 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 what are you doing? Why are you running? Why are you saying this to God? Have you lost your mind? You're saying it again? Like, come on. And so when you get that feeling about Jonah making that kind of choice, do that yourself, okay? Do that yourself. (laughs) Actually make that choice yourself. When you feel yourself drifting away from what you know to be God's plans for your life and God's commands according to his word, and you're drifting from that, do what you think Jonah should do and return, Run to God, not away from him. Now, Jonah has a thing where he thinks God's wrong. So do we. Jonah has, lets his anger get the best of him. So do we. Jonah put his nation above God's kingdom. And so do we. Okay? Jonah put his nation of Israel above the kingdom of God. And so do we. He said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? I knew you'd save these people. They're our enemy. How could you? Because here's the thing. For him, the redemption of Nineveh, the saving of all these people, that's going to threaten Israel's national interests. Okay, This is the enemy. This is the enemy of Israel. And Jonah does not let you be confused about what is more important to him. The the flourishing of Israel is more important to him than the flourishing of the kingdom of God. Now, do any of us do this? Absolutely, okay? We do this all the time. I bet a lot of us are doing it right now as you listen to me. Now, here's the thing. Jonah was not wrong in his assessment of the Assyrian Empire, okay? They are bad, right? It's not like, don't be confused. This doesn't mean that, oh, okay, well, because they're bad or they're wrong, this other nation that God wants to give his grace and forgiveness to, that doesn't mean that they're, they're good. We're not saying they're good. They're bad. They're evil. That has nothing to do with it. Whether the other is bad or evil has nothing to do with the grace and forgiveness that God wants to bring them or the love of Christ that we should show them. Jonah didn't trust in God for the relief of his fears. We have fears about this kind of stuff. We have fears when it comes to our national interests. Jonah trusted himself and didn't trust God and he deified his country over God. And I believe that we do that as well. 
Because we think, well, wasn't, wait, wait, was Jonah just a good patriot? Because we all want to be good patriots. Love of country is good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it is wrong to love your country. I do. I love our country. And I, but what we have to like be careful of is that if love of country leads you to go against the ways of God, then you've lost the plot. Okay? If love of country makes you think that actions of your country that are ungodly and wrong are fine and should be sort of accepted or justified, you have lost the plot of the book that matters. Okay, I'm, I'm so serious because I think this is such a problem for so many of us. That we must, we must follow this book and God's ways and follow and be like, just citizens of God's kingdom above any other kingdom in the world. Now, Jonah, it's always like, it like goes the next step for Jonah, right? Like if Jonah, if, if like love of country leads you to go against God's ways, but in Jonah's case leads you to root for an entire people to be spiritually lost then you really love your nation more than you love God. And that is called idolatry, okay? That is what it means to follow an idol. You place something, anything above God. Now, Jesus tells us, right, love your neighbor. Jesus says, hey, what I want you, what I have commanded you to do is to love God and love your neighbor. Now, Jesus had an interaction with some folks who said, well, who is my neighbor? Right? Who is, this, who is this neighbor that you speak of, Jesus? And the thing is, is that most of us, when we think, who is my neighbor, we think it's the person that's just like me that is closest to me. Right? That person that looks just like me or seems just like me. It's what the people in Jesus' time that asked the question thought. And that's why Jesus then told this whole story, we call the Good Samaritan, right, that then speaks of this person that was their enemy, this person that they hated, that they looked down upon, ends up being the hero of this story and the only one that was a good neighbor, and that is who your neighbor is. And so it's so important for us to recognize, okay, Lord, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? It's not just the person that's just like me and agrees with all the things that, that I think and we have kind of the same interests and all that, but it's maybe that person that just moved in across the street that has a completely different culture and completely different way of life and I don't understand, and I don't even like it really, but that's my neighbor. My neighbor is a, a Syrian Ninevite who puts skins of their enemies on their walls, right? I mean, okay, whoa. <laughs> is my neighbor ISIS? Is my neighbor that new transgender person at work that I am kind of freaked out about this whole thing and I don't know how to act? Whatever it is for you, who is my neighbor? Again, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with them or think they're doing it all right. That's not what we're talking about, okay? What we're talking about is when we put the ways of ourself or our country or our interests above the interests of God. And so I would love for you to examine. Examine your words. Examine your speech. Even right now, start to process. How do I talk to people? How do I speak about other people that are unfamiliar to me or different than me? Or are actually even my enemy. Examine your social media 
posts and comments. What kinds of things do you say about other people? Examine your passions. Examine your time. Does any of that point to God or only to things other than God? Now, sometimes that can be you know, just over-obsession with certain hobbies and interests. Like, I have to be careful. I've been so sort of into doing this, like, triathlon training stuff that, like, I end up that everyone hates me because that's all I want to talk about. And I'm realizing, like, that I'm a, sort of like a boring person to be around. Even this friend, uh, this, this one friend at this party said, it came up to me and he was like, Eric, tell me, I'm going to do a triathlon. Tell me everything you know about it. And I was like, oh. Finally, you know, <laughs> and and then like all like my wife and my other group of friends were all just like eye roll, like oh, and they kind of all scattered and moved farther away. And <laughs> it's just like like this over obsession with certain things, and it's like okay, am I talking only about things other than God, or am I bringing that in? But it also tends to be ugliest with political opinions, right? This kind of stuff tends to get to its ugliest at that point. And I've seen these, like, churches around, like, near my house where they've got banners every season for some sort of, like, progressive social issue up on their church. And I think, huh, I've never, literally never seen a picture of just, like, Jesus is grace or love or, like, the Bible is this beautiful, like, you know, picture of God's word to us. I just never see, like, anything about Jesus on their banners. And I think, wow, that's, like, crazy. But then I look at Facebook posts of other friends who are much more on the right end of, you know, very far right conservative. And there are hundreds and hundreds of posts that are only about these things, only about these political things, and calling people morons or idiots or stupid and whatever throughout all of that while being Christians. And I just think, man, maybe one post about Jesus and his grace. But then I also think... Well, maybe it's better that there's not. Because the other example of everything else that's getting posted doesn't lead to a great witness for the gospel. So we have to be careful about how we put things as more important, anything that it could be, as more important than God. Because as long as there is something more important than God to your heart, you will be fragile, you'll be self-righteous, and idolatrous. Just like Jonah, just like Jonah, as long as there's something more important than God to your heart, you'll be fragile, self-righteous, and idolatrous. And so God asks, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well? Whatever you're angry about, and again, I don't make light of things that we have that are so, so hard in our life. Do you do well to be angry? I think that God actually, I think this is a pretty gentle rebuke, okay? Right? Like, God's rebuke to Jonah here is pretty gentle. Like, Jonah, as he's just calling God out for all this stuff, he's run from him, he's done all this. And Jonah, just again here, and God just says, is it right for you to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? We'll, we'll kind of, we'll see how the story continues next week, but as we sit with this, I think that God gives Jonah and us an invitation to look into what is the root of the bitterness or the anger in our heart. And you might have anger with God himself. And I ask you today, what is the root of your anger with God? And I want you to actually think about it. Is it 
a death of someone you love, a sickness, an unmet expectation in your life, a broken relationship. Maybe it's the politics and everything going on in our country. God forgiving bad people at the last minute or your boss that fired you is super successful. That person that hurt you is now in an amazing relationship and doing great. Maybe it's that the church has hurt you in some deep way. Sometimes even in that we rejoice in the downfall of others. Do you find yourself rejoicing when others go down that you disagree with or exes or friends that hurt you or people that have acted like they're better than you? What's the root of your anger with God? Would you like God to take that anger away? Or do you kind of like the anger? Are you willing to allow God to heal you of that, to remove that anger from you? And if you are, I want to ask you right now to, I want to lead us kind of in a little bit of a time of silent prayer, okay? And so what I'd ask is kind of just kind of like put your stuff down, get, get comfortable, <clears throat> and just close your eyes. And I want to pray some of these lines, and I'd like for you to try to pray them yourself. They won't be on the screen. They're not written anywhere. Just close your eyes and, and listen and turn your attention to the Lord. God, I admit that I'm angry. Please give me a teachable, moldable spirit that knows my own anger. Please remove that unhealthy anger from me. Just pray these words to the Lord. Lord, I'm willing to have you take my anger, even if I'm still burning with it right now. Lord, please give me compassion where I have none. Please give me the saving grace of Jesus in the everyday moments of bitterness. Lord, I recognize that you have every right to be angry with me, but you give me grace. May I respond to you, O oh Lord, with the same kindness you've given me. God, I release the anger I have with the people in my life who have wronged me. I release the anger I have to groups of people that I disagree with and despise. Lord, help me to love my neighbor. Jesus, please forgive me of my anger and heal me from it. And Holy Spirit, please empower me to live each day in submission to your word and your ways. Almighty God, I pray that you would help each one of us. This stuff's not easy, Lord. And Lord, we recognize that there is deep-rooted struggle in the midst of this anger. 
Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister into the depth of our being and help us to be able to honestly assess our own hypocrisy in this, our own, our own ways of being like Jonah, God. I pray that you make us then a people of love and compassion and grace who uphold what is right and live it each day. So God, heal us of our anger towards you and towards others. And let us put you and your kingdom above all else.